Hey, Jess. Are you angry again, Jason? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of always anger, angry below the surface. It's kind of like from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Disney version, The Incredible Hulk. You know, he says he doesn't. You wouldn't like it, me it, when I'm angry? No, 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 no. That's old. That's old. It's, it's, the, it's the newer ones. It's where somebody asks him, how do you, how do you not get angry? He says, it's not that I don't get angry anymore. It's I'm angry all the time. Oh, I see. Oh, so, so basically, you're, you're a Marvel superhero, what you're, what you're telling us. Uh, yeah, I'm just not green. But yes. Okay. Basically it. Well, before you... So, wait, I'll, hold on. Before you dive in, I want to give a shout out. That our, if anyone listened to this episode and has listened to previous Rough Cuts, you just heard an epically awesome introduction to this show. And I want to give a shout out to the person who created it. His name is Tom McGovern. He is a very funny um, a musician that you can find on all of the social media. I will link to his stuff in our show notes. He is a former student of mine, and we reached out to him to get him to make a ridiculous, funny intro to our podcast. Because if you go back to listen to and listen to Rough Cut number one, we joked that it would be great to have someone screaming Rough Cuts like an 80s metal death, death metal band. And we did it. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. So you'll hear that every time we do a rough cut. And I want to thank Tom for making that for us. And I hope you enjoy listening to it every time we make one of these. Okay, Jason. Just a quick, just a quick note of caution though. When you go to his so his his social sites, he's got a lot of his music on there, and it's great, and it's definitely funny. But it's not safe for work, and it's not necessarily kid friendly. So keep that in mind. Have your headphones on before you listen to listen to this. But it's great. He's great. So thanks, Tom, for that. I hope you enjoy that money that we gave you for doing it. So, all right. So I want to, I want to sort of complain a little bit about housing. So are you, are you ready for this conversation, Jeff? I might have to get a cup of coffee or some speed if you're going to talk about housing, but I'll try to stay with you. Okay. So that's so unfair. You asshole. Um, it's, so we have a housing issue in, in the U S and Canada has it and other places kind of have a similar issue. And a lot of people, especially people that are, that are older than 40, I guess is probably the best number, are afraid that we're going to have some kind of a housing crash like we did back in you know, 2007, 2008, and 2009. Right? It, was, it killed the global economy, right? It was, it was the biggest existential threat to, to the world's economy that essentially everybody alive now has really ever lived through. You got to go back to the depression for something that was really worse um, for most of the people on the planet to, to get to it. And I think, Jeff, I want to say a few words here, and I'm going to try and avoid like the political bent, but I think a lot of people just have no fucking idea like what are the real mechanics of, of where we are, and I think it's really important. And I'm going to say up front, it's nimbyism. That's the number one thing. The reality is we don't have enough houses. It's not that we have too many, okay? It's not that we're going to see some bubble and it's going to pop and all of a sudden everybody's house is going to fall 20, 30, 40% in value. There ain't enough houses. And specifically, if, if I understand this correctly, we, there's a housing shortage, but there is also specifically a shortage of houses that younger people looking to get their first house can afford. Is that correct also? Yeah, like if you if you look back at, at the the data going back to the 40s, really, that's kind of the best from like the mid mid late forties post world war two era through now, that's really the best time to look at it because that's when like 
communities, um, housing communities and, and homes as kind of a manufactured good really started to become a thing. Before that, it was pretty much custom made and it wasn't like now where a lot of a house comes in on a truck and they assemble the parts, right? They put it together. There's, there's custom, custom stuff that's, that's made on site, of course, but a lot more of it is a manufactured good than it used to be. And houses have steadily become more and more expensive. And a, number one reason is they're so much damn bigger. The average house is like twice the size that the average house was even going back into the 60s and 70s. Really, it was in the 80s and the 90s that we saw houses start to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And nobody's building um, affordable entry-level housing anymore. We've seen the bigger home builders have finally started to pivot over the past five or six years, Jeff. But the reality is the biggest detriment that they face is local towns, counties, local regulatory boards that won't let them build particularly like multifamily housing. So even like condos, right? Much less apartments or, or small, affordable um, housing like that. And it's just a major problem. And the economics, Jeff, the economics don't work because if you're a builder, why in the hell would you go fight against some town of 200,000 people to get them to let you build a condo unit with 50 units when you know you're going to beat your head against the wall for years and they're never going to say yes, when you can take that same plot of land and just build 10 single family houses. And, right? and it also, I think the double whammy is the places where there is land to build are likely the places where there's the most resistance to this particular type of housing. Yes. Yes. Because there's this fear of what comes with it, right? That's my understanding of, of the, the background of the NIMBYism. And it's, yep. and it's, it really is a shame because I, I don't know what your like housing trajectory was when you were younger, but I, mine was basically like apartment with the college roommate after we graduated, mm -hmm. then a two bedroom condo, then a townhouse, and then the house I live in now. And the right. only reason I moved that many times is I took advantage of the crazy housing market before the crash where you could buy a house and sell it two years later for a profit. So. Right. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do all those things. But that was my trajectory. Like, I needed that entry level condo, or I wouldn't have been able to buy anything at that point in my life. Yeah, our, our first our first house was twelve hundred square foot, two bedroom house, and then when we moved to California, only we could afford there an eleven hundred square foot house, and then up the ladder to the bigger house, and and the bigger house the same, and. The, the 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 bigger houses are are newer. The old the the littler houses. One was built in the fifties. One was built in the early sixties. Right. So this is a real issue. And I want to say this because I think it's worth saying. You have liberals who this is almost like it's like a virtue signaling thing that they support. They support multifamily housing, but the, they they start clutching the pearls when they start talking about building apartments in their own town, and then our are the, the the conservatives, the conservatives, they complain about the government and they point at Washington, D.C. and say, well, it's Washington's fault because of all the regulations. And no, it's the regulations in your town, conservatives. That's the problem. Now, I've pissed off everybody and that was my entire goal here, Jeff. But the, the, the big thing, Jeff, the big thing I really wanted to say is that this is this is a structural problem. OK, and yes, there are some. There's some behavioral issues behind it that, that, that the roadblocks are really hard for builders and it's, it's become a structural problem for them to be able to do it. And it's a huge opportunity for builders if 
we could just get out of out of their way and then it would be a big opportunity for investors who could just invest in those builders and let them let them build the condos jeff this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker you'll find what you came for here and more so ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So who are the companies you think are worth thinking about investing in now? Acknowledging, I've been talking about acknowledging these ahead. roadblocks and the challenges that are ahead. Yeah. But if you're interested in maybe getting in now on something that could be a profitable investment moving forward, where where do you think investors should not a recommendation necessarily, but where should they look? So um Steve Hilton founded um uh, Meritage Homes, twenty five years or so ago, or whatever. He's he's retired now. I think he might be, um, still involved on the board. Maybe chairman emeritus. Um, maybe he's still a chairman. I honestly can't remember. But anyway, he led the company through the financial crisis when every home builder they had to back up, and the ones that were building entry level back then could that they had to move away from it because all of the people that were graduating from college during the financial crisis couldn't find jobs, right? So much less buy houses. So they moved into like custom homes and that kind of stuff. But I would say it's been seven or eight years ago now. Steve Hilton said, we've got to make a shift. There is a massive hole in the market because none of us have been building affordable first how you know, entry level housing, first move up housing for seven or eight years at that point. And he said, we, we've got to make that shift now. And they began vastly refocusing their entire land buying strategy. Um, and shifting their their sales mix as they were building these houses away from custom homes to these entry level housing, and like their margins got better, the average selling price went down because they were selling smaller homes, but they could build more of them on a, a on a same size acreage lot, and they get better margins, so they were actually more profitable. And they've been probably I think of the smaller of the top ten home home builders. I think they've probably been the best run over the past probably since Hilton founded the company, definitely since the financial crisis. So I'd say Meritage Home sticker MTH, dude, that's that's the one I'd I put at the top of the list. It's been one of my best stocks. Yeah, but I'm I'm still pissed because this should be one of the best places for people to invest. And it's been good for you know re- more recently, but nobody thinks about it because everybody's too busy clutching their goddamn pearls and complaining. Um so anyway, okay Jeff, I feel better. Thanks for Hey, Thanks for that. I'm I'm here for you, and so are our listeners. So uh, stay angry, friends. All right, cue the cue the cue the outro, and uh, just a reminder: I'm happy to bitch about my answers. Jeff's happy to listen. Answer it yourself. Ain't no answers to be found here. See you next time, Jeff. See you next time.